Do you aspire to become a responsible leader? How do you see yourself now as a young man? Learning from challenges is one thing, but getting opportunities is another. If you're a young man who wants to learn about personal growth, life lessons, and leadership, tune in to Essential 11, shaping leaders among leaders. You're doing amazing. Yeah. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you, man. This is uh, fr- Fridays for me are, day, you know, I look forward to every day if I'm honest, but um, Fridays are just, a, a you know, uniquely special because um, I get these amazing young men that I get to connect with every single week. And then we get to bring on amazing humans like you and just have a freaking fun conversation. You know, it's not a bad deal, man. No, it's, it's not bad at all. It's the good life. It is the good life, man. And I know, and I don't have to give you, I know I don't have to give you context for how we roll with this or how we, you know, launching like what the, what the podcast looks like. Cause um, you and I have talked about this enough now ad nauseum. And so, you know, kind of what's going on. So today what's fun is that for a little bit, man, we're going to dive into you. We're going to dive into you, your story, um, you know, who you are, what you're doing, the impact that you're making in the world, which is a great one. Um, and, uh, and then we'll be quiet at some point, or I'll be quiet at some point, And these young guys will get to come in and, and, uh, and have a chat with you. So easy. That enough. sounds awesome. Yeah. It's, let's it's, do it. Let's do it. So where we like to start on these calls, when we have these, this particular podcast is we like to go back to, you know, we got young guys as young as 12, we got guys up to like 17, 18, 19. Um, and then the podcast itself, what we found is listenership. It's, it's kind of We've got a lot of young people, but we have more parents than anything else, right? The demographic that really listens to this show that is doing the six-figure downloads, they're like our age, right? And it's parents and a lot of that stuff too, which is which is cool, man. It's it's uh it's pretty fun. But we like to go back to you at that age and go, okay, Scott at 12, 13, 14, I'm sure he had it all figured out. He was never making any mistakes, dude. He was the he was the man he is now, just less facial hair. Right. right. Um, or not. Um, and so we like to start there and, and then uh, we'll just kind of go forward. Wow. You want to know about me at that? I want to know huh? you as a you as a young man. Who was that guy? So always very independent, um, you know, was I've learned something about myself in the years past is that I've always had a tiny bit of resistance or adversity to um leadership or, or not necessarily leadership, but, but authority. So I want to, those, I want to delineate those two things. Right. So I was very drawn to people who led through strength and values rather than the people who led through authority. And so I found that out about myself pretty young. I know way more about it now, but navigating through that created a, a, some real interesting situations and unpacking over the years, I've realized that a lot of the things I did as adult that as an adult that led to failures were literally rooted in what happened and how I saw how my life was in those early years. Years. Incredibly, incredibly rooted in that. So like those years are so incredibly impactful and really formed who I was in all the good ways and in a lot of really bad ways. And so I had a really amazing upbringing, guys. I had great parents. My dad was very involved, very, very loving and um, and was a business owner. So I got to see that into the world, but I never fit in in school. I never did the things that exactly that the teachers wanted me to. 
And so when I got into middle school, I was very much into skateboarding. I was, I was in that realm. I was very good at it. I was also good at sports, but I was choosing skateboarding over sports because I was able to not have that authority over me telling me rules that didn't make sense to me. Mm. And yeah, that created some stuff. It does create some stuff. So where do you think that adversity to authority gets? So you said, because one of the questions that I had as I was as I was listening to you writing this down is, okay, the adversity to authority, who was it that was putting that authority over you that you're like, ah, I don't align with that, right? Because I can look back and go, okay, my dad was one of those guys for me where I'm like, I get it. Also, you don't live that and you're not really cool about it. So that makes me not want to do what you're saying, you know? And so there was that, but it didn't sound like you got that from dad. So was it more teaching was it a societal sort of deal like who did you see as that authority that you didn't necessarily jive with education system is 100% education system yeah so I was in public education I was put in like those special they called them CDS child development um services when I was a youth because they saw me as different than everybody else I wasn't stupid I was smart um but I, I don't know why it was, but I went through that. And then in middle school, like I said, I, I, I literally had a teacher. I, I started wrestling in middle yeah. school and I was undefeated. I was really good at it. I'm short, I'm, I'm thick and I can move. And so I was undefeated and I'm just like going, I'm just showing up and doing the thing and I, I'm enjoying it, but it was cutting into my skateboarding time. And um, I, my math teacher at the time was, uh, was my, coach. Okay. And, uh, you know, I won't use the language he used. He took me into his little side office in his, in his classroom. Cause I told him I was quitting, um, wrestling. Yeah. And he literally pinned me up the wall and against the wall and called me, um, a name I won't say here and said I was ruining my life. And, and that was the first kind of like step into really hating. Yeah the education system, yep. really hating. Now I had a few, few teachers who were incredible to me and said, sure. Hey Scott, like you have some incredible potential and they really cultivated that, but it was always this like Jekyll and Hyde thing. Most of them were really evil. Yeah. I mean, like really, I'm, and I'm not anti-teacher you guys. I have a master's degree in education. I taught for 13 years yeah, because I, I had this desire to not be that teacher and let, let engage with the students in a way that was very enriching to them. So for me, most of the damage done to my own psyche, my own internal thoughts about myself was done early on buying into the narrative that people were putting in front of me. I wasn't, a vi- I, I'm not a victim. I want to yeah. clarify. Yeah, but I let those things create in me a belief in myself that was not at its peak. Did not allow for peak performance or a self view myself that allowed me to excel. Yeah, started believing things that weren't true. Right, we don't talk absolutely the the developmental stages enough. And so you guys, you know, I hope you guys understand this too. We've mentioned it a couple times, but I want to make sure you guys understand this. So like, we talk culturally about the the twenty five year old, right? Like your guy, guys, your brain is not fully developed yet. It won't be until you're around twenty five. That's all very true. So understand that that's true, but guess what? There's other big developmental jumps, big developmental leaps that your brain takes, right? So like eight years old ish, it takes one, 12, it takes one, 16, it takes one, then takes that next big one, 24, 25. So every time you're coming up on the cusp of those things, you're, you're having this huge jump in development and it causes all these weird things, causes emotional strife. And it causes you to um, end up being in this place of evaluating kind of these, this last chunk of your life and the stories that you were 
um, you know, you're, you're telling yourself about the stories you're telling yourself. And so that's a tough thing, man. So that's kind of what you're talking about. And so skateboarding ended up being your outlet. Who were your, just out of curiosity, man, who were your guys that you looked at like skateboarding? Cause you and I, I think we're, you know, oh my gosh. they made sure it was like, I'm imagining like a Tony Hawk and like he was the dude, but were there other guys that you were following? Oh yeah. Mark Gonzalez. I mean, all of them, like yeah. I lived and breathed skateboarding and yeah. here's something I want to, I want to, I just want to take a, a minute to share something that's a huge win. And I'm, I hope all you young men can take this into your future. Something that my dad did, this was very anti-culture back then. And I would just disappear and skateboard all day. Come, you know, there's no snail cell phones at that time. And I was traveling all over the place, skating all over the place. And I was, you know, 14, 15. And my dad's like, hey, let's build a half pipe. And nobody had half pipes, just rich kid had, had half pipes. I'm like, what? And he's like, and so he just like, didn't even give me time to think about it and just went and bought all the stuff, did all the research. We spent an entire summer building when he, when he was got home from work, we would build together. And I learned so much from that. And later on, he said, Hey, look, I had zero interest in skateboarding. But when I learned that if I cared about what you were doing and put effort into what you were doing, mm. then we would create a much better bond. And like, I, I, this is such a huge thing for me because I look at how my, my then view of authority, it, that part of him went away. Like he's, he's with me, but what he was doing was he's bringing my world into his backyard. And um, it was an incredibly pivotal time for me. It was really amazing. And they embraced having my friends over. And then all of a sudden, what I realized is all these kids wanted to come to my house because it was a safe place. Yes. A lot of them had really, you know, broken homes and everything. So uh, I just wanted to make sure that was like one of these things, like my dad didn't say, hey, I loved baseball. You need to play baseball. Yeah. He's like, what? Oh, you love skateboarding. I'm going to get into that the only way that I know how and is build it, build it and they will come. One of the key differences between being an authoritative dictator and a leader, right, is that it's building that connection like that going, okay, let me step into your world and how can we make this a we do together? Right. right? So, so powerful, man. Um, uh, so powerful. I love that. So, and I love that that helped create that shift. I'm glad that it was one way versus the other, meaning I'm glad that you at least had the support and the leadership at home, even though you didn't have as much of it at school, I would rather be at that than, than flip-flopped, right? Because that's a that's a better launching board for sure. Um, oh, yeah. Su super random side note, but I grew up with a guy named, uh, and I graduated high school with a guy named Stefan Janowski. Um, and it, people in the skating world may know, so Nike now has the, they sell the Janowskis, right? It's a skating oh, shoe. Both of my boys, that's their favorite shoe. So I, I graduated with Stefan and quite did you really all yeah. he ever did, man, was skateboard through the halls, skateboard around town, skateboard. Like he didn't come hang out with anybody. That is quite literally all he did all the time. And nobody, you know, had any idea that he'd go on to be, I mean, I think the guy's but, worth 30 million bucks. So yeah, easy. Yeah, so cool, man. Yeah. That's so, really cool. So you, uh, so you had that environment at home, right? So then you, you go for it and I'm imagining, so, you know, I know you have the masters and all that. So was it a, just was the narrative in the house? Like, Hey, go to college and everything's going to work out great. And so that's what you did. Or was like, what was the next step in the journey for you? I was the only second person in my entire genie, like the genealogy of my family to attend college. I, and when I was a senior in high school, I had zero intention of going to college. I, I had seen my dad build a business and my mom kind of build her business and working together. And I never thought about my career ever. 
Mm-hmm. Like it was not a picture, but I was dating a girl that was very, very focused on having her master's degree in physical therapy. And I'd been dating her for a long time. We became, we were best friends first. It's like literally hung out. She was like insanely cool. She'd just go out with my friends and jump off cliffs into the river and do all the cool stuff that we did like at 16, 17, 18. And, um, and so she's like, I'm going to college. I'm like, well, I don't know what to do. Yeah. Like, uh, so I ended up just going to college. I'm like, I'm going to be a teacher. And I went to college and um, wait, waffled around in that, got a degree in psychology. When I found psychology, I found a new, a new passion for understanding how a human interacts with others. Mm. And so I went down that road and I became a social worker, which means uh, I was getting paid very, very little in to manage a home for kids your age young adult, you know, like entering this age that were the, we were the last step before they actually went to prison, mm-hmm. youth prison. Mm-hmm. So I had, I had a home, the people, kids were living in that had been pulled from their home. Most of them had attempted murdered or murdered somebody mm-hmm. at 12, 13 and 14 years old, because they were, there was so many issues in the family. So it was my first career. Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah. And then I went and got my master's. And, and the reason I went to college is because my in my wife's family, there's these clear boxes of how you do life. And college was one of them. And I wanted to fit into that because otherwise I would be ostracized from her parents. And they were teachers their entire life. And if you didn't do school, you were going to, you were going to you were going to be a dropout. You were going to be, you're going to be a waste on society. So I bought into that and I did that. Um, And like, you know, I, I let that kind of dictate my world for the next 15 years. As you went into school and you went into now the schools you were teaching in. And I want to, I want to ask this question um, in full transparency, partially because I want to bring it back what you just said about working as a social worker and working with those young men, but the schools you went into um, were those, the, the schools that you worked at were those, you know, considered quote unquote good schools, bad schools, meaning what was the socioeconomic status of the student? That's all it is, right? School, right. school I've taught in gangland and Disneyland and the schools themselves are pretty much the same thing. It's it's the the clientele, right? It's the uh, socioeconomic status of the c- specific community. But what were those like? So the very first school, I swear I'd never go back to my hometown. They called me when I graduated. I was going to school in Massachusetts, grad school, um, high honors. They wanted to hire me as a professor there. They were, they were hounding me hard and basically paving a free road to getting my doctorate degree and then working at the school for me. Mm-hmm. And, but my, my home school, which is literally like a country school, it was an integrated, it was what we used to call elementary school, which was first through sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And so I took that job. I went back. My wife took a job in that town as well. I went back as a country school, half really rich, half dirt poor. Mm-hmm. And the, I taught every, I taught everything except for music. So mm-hmm. I teach every subject in my yep. own classroom. Yep. And I did that. And, but at that point, I had autonomy. I had the ability to teach the way that teachers should teach and yeah. publication public education should be run is like hey here's some goals yeah we want we want kids to learn about you know american history or you know world world, world cultures you know whatever it was for that grade just get to those yeah and so i was a genius at creating really interactive fun 
curriculum, probably what most kids do in homeschool now, yeah. and and really actually focused in on, hey, what's your genius? Like, yeah. what are you really good at? Yeah. Okay, if you want to learn about that, how would you love to let us know what you've learned? This yeah. is literally how I taught in every subject. Yeah. How would you like to show us what you know? Yeah. And so we were having plays and we were having art. Um, we were having presentations and then there was like lawyer debates because that's what the kids loved right? right i was thriving in that and and i got to do that until the system just kept crushing and crushing and crushing and standardized testing got more and more and more serious and it just got so bad and that's a whole that's a that's whole cool. hour conversation till i had sure. that day where i'm like went to the went to the principal at the school I was in and said, I will no longer be a part of this system. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, so I want to talk about the next step there, but I want to ask one tying question before we talk about the next, because I want to talk about when, you know, you said that, how did you feel when you said that to the principal? Was it like jumping off a freaking cliff or did you have the plan B? And then what did you go on to continue to create after that? That's where I want to go. Mm -hmm. I want to tie it up really quickly. So you had that experience there. And, and um, it sounds like you're the teacher that, you know, we had, I grew up with some of those teachers and loved every bit of it. And then we had some that were going the other way. It's phenomenal. You got to work with those, those young heroes. You also still worked with those 12, 13 and 14 year olds that were about to go to juvenile hall. If you look at them, the circumstances of their lives obviously were were vastly different. Were the kids themselves at that point, do you think, and when I say different, like were they different from an intellectual level, from an emotional needs level? Like, did you see a lot of differences there or were they, is it more a circumstantial difference? Like, man, they were raised in this environment. They were raised in this one. What do, what do you think looking back on that? You're talking about the students in the school? Just the students themselves, yeah, versus the students in. And I'll ask you, I mean, it's a it's a loaded question, I guess, but I'll ask you what, because I did teach in gangland environment. Right. Where we had young heroes that were going home and being told to sell drugs. And now you're jumping in your brother. And now you're like, I had that. And then I went to areas where the parents were famous and wealthy. And I, I you know, was like, wait a second. <laughs> In my experience, I'm like these these kids over here just as intelligent. Okay, so right? I get where you're going. Justin, it's literally yeah. it was more of a circumstantial thing than anything. It was. So, what happened when I was able to make connections with students? You you get a very big mix of students. You get the the high level parents requesting and demanding you, and then you yeah. get the very difficult kids being put that have really horrible circumstances in their home being put on you because you're showing results. And so, just for an example, of what I did that that eventually got stopped is I was I was still skating at 30 years old, oh, yeah. and so I had helped build an entire warehouse of indoor skating um, club. And we did it as a nonprofit through, we, we figured it all out. Right. And so after school, my car was loaded and like to the ground full of kids, I all had all their parents, I would take them. And these were kids that had, did not have opportunity. And I would take them and we'd skate for hours until their parents came and picked them up. They performed crazy well. Yeah. They performed crazy well. And those are the kids like, you know, 20, 30 years, however long it's been that still email me, Mr. Yeah. Ramage, you literally made me understand what it is I have inside of me, like these kind of messages, right? But you can't do that stuff anymore. It's just not there. But the, the opportunity is the same. Mm. But where everything broke down is when entitlement came into the picture. 
Mm. And, and then also the dumbing down of the classroom. No longer was I able to say, hey, you perform where you need to perform and you show me growth and you show me that you are interested. Let's get you interested and let's go in this direction to no, you have to pass this test. And then I had their super intelligent kid. I'm like, I'm sorry, we got to spend another week on this. So this kid over here could pass the test. You just kind of go do your own little thing. That was literally what I had to do. It was, it was incredibly horrible. Yeah. Um, can I read something to you? This this thought came sure. to my mind yes, sir, the please. other day, and I, I I want you guys to download this because it's not anti school, but it but it's not anti learning, but it's anti the way things formal are. education. Yeah. Um, sure. and this is coming from a, someone with a master's in education. The further I get from my the frameworks of my formal education, the more my capacity to earn increases mm. I, and so i mm. like not everything is about money but i will tell you what if there is anything lie out there is that the only way to be successful is to do the school system and so i don't i don't know if that falls mm. on everybody but my son is 19 and before he, when he graduated, he said, dad, I just want to be an entrepreneur like you. What does it take? I said, a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of determination. Mm -hmm. And he decided to go move to Montana and work on a ranch. He just happens to be exposed to incredibly famous people right now. Mm -hmm. um, he started a TikTok and, I'm, and um, within like 28 days, he had 30,000 followers with like a 80% interaction rate. And now he's at $95,000, guys. He's doing it four hours a week and making bank. He's created an online store, which then funnels everybody into buying his, his gear. It's all stoicism stuff. And then, um, and he still gets people and he's make he's doing amazing. He's doing insanely well. And he still gets people shaming him for not being in college. Yesterday, he met this, the, the president for a very large bank. And the guy said, Hey, what, you know, why aren't you in college? And my son told him, and I'm not anti-college because there's reasons to go to college. My son told him, and the guy literally just pulled out his pocket, handed him a hundred dollar bill and said, I want to help you grow your business. And he's like, here's my number. We're going to work together. This is a guy who's probably making two, three, four, maybe 10 million a year. Right. And so that whole story to, is here to say, be true to yourself, understand your values. Cause that's where my son understands, he understands core values. Mm -hmm. He understands who he is and he understands that he is not going to do something just because everybody is telling him to do something. He's doing it because he knows, he knows his worth. He knows his values. We have family core values. He has those dialed in right. and he is doing what he, and he is facing so much opposition from adults saying, well, when are you, this is just a gap year. This is just a phase. You'll go back to college. Even his grandfather is telling him like, I know you're going to go to college. You can live with us for free and we'll let you go to our, like it's, and the conversation with the, with the, with my father-in-law is, Hey, whenever Bryson goes to college, I'm like, you, you don't understand, but understand this me, I'm 50 years old, you guys. And I have a business that's crushing it. He texted me and said, and this guy loves me. He loves me. He texted me and said, when you decide to settle down and get a career and be happy with that, you're going to really enjoy your life. Man, I've made more this year than he made probably in 15 years. 
And I'm like, that is what? Yep. And so it's what I want youth to understand is society puts the box around you. The fact that you're on this call, you guys, you are light years ahead, light years ahead. But I want you to understand that society is going to continue to push this box and try and slam you inside of it. They're going to continue. And the more you fight it, the more uh, obstacles are going to be in your way. And the more of that mental bashing you're going to get from society, because it makes them incredibly uncomfortable. The more uncomfortable you make those people, the more you are going to find success in your life. True freaking story. Oh, that's so powerful. I can't wait for you to settle down, Scott, because I want you to start enjoying things. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love my life, man. I know, man. I know. And I, you know, and I, I get that. And I get the, I get all those stories. I have heard the same sort of, we had a, a young man walk off one of the stages at one of the campuses I built, you know, he's 18 years old, walked off. There was a, an entire organization. It's a nationwide organization that about 750 employees across the country. Um, they had never hired anybody without a college degree. They made an exception for this young man and they changed the policy for their entire company, right? They, he walked off that stage at 18. He walked into a, a career level position, making $70,000 a year to start at 18, overseeing mm -hmm. a bunch of college graduates. And what his mom said to me was, I'm proud, but I'm also really worried because I think he should go to college. And I said, cool, why should he go to college again? And she said, so that he can have a good job. I'm like, Do you, what is he walking into right now? Right. What is it? And it's just, that's how deeply rooted and ingrained it is, you know, so unreal. So I want to make sure we get to before our gentlemen, I'm about to open it up to you guys here in just a moment. Um, but before we get to that, I want to, um, I want to talk about you taking that leap, right? You going, Hey, I can no longer be here in the school system because I get, uh, I can comfortably say, I was going to say daily. I don't, that's not true. I, I, I can comfortably say weekly, I get somebody who reaches out to me and says, hey, man, in the system right now, can't leave, got my pension coming, I'm a few years away from retirement, I hate it, I hate what I'm doing every day, I hate coming here every day, some of these people are wildly influential in the quote unquote teacher space, especially on different social media platforms, and they're like, we, I hate this. Um, but I have to hold on because this is what I commit, right, they're, they're playing that game, you went, nope, this isn't okay. And I've got to go do something else. Did you already have the plan B? Did you oh, already right. something started? Uh, or did you just leap? So I had um, learned a lot about myself and <clears throat> stepped into learning about leadership and personal mm -hmm. development, like a lot of people do at some point in their life. And I had stepped into a income opportunity that I had no clue what I was doing. However, I was skilled at it. And I had doubled my salary in that opportunity, working very part-time before I left. And, but what I was doing was I was, I had decided, they asked me to teach a leadership class and I took it from your, your, uh, your regular, here's the president, here's the vice president, here's the social person. I took it to a real leadership level. We were doing community yeah, yeah. service. We were earning money for the school. We were throwing things and that ruffled the feathers of teachers so bad. I was so hated. Yeah. Um, and so I was earning double what I was earning as a teacher. And so I had created the freedom for myself to literally retire from that 
And I will tell you guys, this is what I'm talking about. People want to shove a box around you. There's a guy that had been teaching for probably 35 years. And he came up to me. He got right in my face on the last day, right in front of the students. And he goes, you are stupid. You are walking away from a great career. And I, 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 I don't know how I held it together, but that happened about three times, three different people tell me I am stupid and everything's going to fall apart and I'm going to come groveling back to them. And so I made them uncomfortable. It was really what it came down to. Um, so I had a plan and I really found out that I was entrepreneurial and I could, I'd already had another business that I, um, that's a whole nother story I sold so I could kind of win my family back because yeah. I was, I kind of dove into that, but I had a plan. I had worked my way into a place to have that freedom. So what did you, and I want to touch up before I get to these guys, what did you build there? What did you sell? And then what are you, what are you doing now? Like, what are you building? Now? So that was, that was in the supplement world. And I didn't know anything about direct sales or MLMs. Yeah. And I just, I, I got great results from these products and someone said, Hey, you can build a business. I built the business. What I learned later is it wasn't really a business. It was a marketing. I was building a marketing team Yeah. and um, like nothing against it, but there's a really ugly underbelly in that. Yeah. <laughs> in that industry. Yeah. But it taught me so much. And then before that I owned a bike shop, very successful. I actually, I actually got, I sold or I didn't sell that. That's a whole nother story. Um, because someone told me that teaching was the way I needed to continue and stop splitting my time. Bad advice. So uh, from that moment on, I basically built up an income, you guys, that was a recurring income where I really actually didn't have to work. Yeah. And um, I learned really quickly by retiring from education and not doing anything. Oh, I owned a CrossFit gym too. So I, you know, I was always dabbling. I, could, I can't stop. But yeah. I realized that about myself is like, I, I gained so much energy from from creating and giving people opportunities. So now I have an agency, it's growing like the weeds. Um, it, it, we provide services for, for businesses and it's just, it's, a, it's an incredible business. And I get to impact where I love is, which is small business. I get to work with small business owners. That's so, phenomenal. And then yeah. you're also leading, you're also leading some amazing men. Yeah. So I do the brotherhood of fatherhood, which is it's for men to just be better, better fathers. You know, you guys have Guillermo here, who is an astounding, you just got amazing examples. And my goal is to build men who are amazing examples and lead in their own home first, and then can lead in their community. It's freaking awesome. And so gentlemen, just so you guys know, and, and for the listeners too, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of men I highly respect and, and I will listen to, you know, I, I put something out the other day and I, and I hold true to this, you know, I, I don't, um, I'll listen to anybody. Um, I, I respect everybody until they show, you know, a reason, um, for me not to. And, and, um, I'll, I'm always open to listening to people's thoughts and opinions and ideas. Um, but I reserve advice to people I, I really highly respect, or maybe they've done something that I want to do, um, that's those are the people that get to give advice. I, I think that's a very small, a very small subset of the population, right? But there are some very good men. Guillermo, he mentioned being one, Christian Mandela being another. There's oh, yeah. multiple good men, but these two men in particular, I highly respect. And they both said, Hey man, you got to connect with this guy. Um, you know, Scott Ramage is somebody you want to connect with. Um, and it's not necessarily advice, I guess, but it sort of is. And I respect them enough in especially in that regard, where I'm like, okay, cool, man. If these guys are saying I got to connect. 
then we need to connect, right? And so it was very easy to see why um, it's, you know, again, yes, you've built amazing things, you've done amazing things, you're continuing to grow, you're continuing to impact other human beings, but more importantly, you're a, you're, you know, a really good human being and somebody who pours into his wife and pours into his kids and is very intentional. And so that for me is, you know, that is it. Like that's the stuff, man. So thank you, brother. It means a lot coming from you guys. Seriously. Awesome. Mr. Zorik, go ahead, sir. All right. Are we all good in audio and everything? We are, sir. Awesome. So th thank you so much, sir, for coming on the call today. So I'm currently 15. And when I, uh, throughout this stage of my life, as much as I can view it when I'm only 15, I'm making so many like colossal mistakes that I'm learning a ton from. And they're so painful to deal with in the moment because they're just such stupid mistakes that in hindsight, I could have totally avoided. So I'm curious when you were also 15, how you dealt with making those mistakes and what advice you would give to someone who is still in the stage of making those really dumb mistakes. This is holy cow. Yeah. Like seriously, this is such a good question. <laughs> no pressure, everybody else. Oh. Um, <laughs> this is awesome. I internalized it as I was a screw up because that's what the adults in the school were telling me. And I would see it as a failure and you've heard it. And I don't want to like give you the rhetoric, but failure is success. You guys like mm -hmm. literally John Maxwell came up with this very early on. He said, fail forward. And if you are learning from it, if you are learning from it, you are winning. And so that is, uh, there is no failure. If you take it and you move forward, if you take it and you use mm -hmm. it as a tool to say, okay, next time my decision tree will be a little better and a little better and a little better. If you can avoid that negative interpretation on yourself at this age that I figured out in my forties. And it wasn't until I figured that out that my, my family life got through the roof. Amazing. That my, my personal comfort with myself, I can walk into a room and know who I am without feeling intimidated by everybody else. And the, and when my earning potential goes through the roof, it was the moment I realized that those failures don't define me. They make me who I am. If I allow them to make me who I am. So you failing often, as long as you're not doing the same thing over and over again, good, mm. like good for you. As long as you are taking a pen to paper and saying, this is what I did. And here's how I want to change it again. Or you're making a very strong mental note. And then you're saying, no, no, no. I do not believe that that has anything to do with my personal value. I will not let that latch onto my brain. I will not give that any space. And what I would say, you're going to rent, raise the rent in your head. Mm. Anything that is in your head has to be super high value. So if it's low value, like against you, if someone says something bad about you, you, you raise your rent in your head. You're like, okay, I'm not giving that any time. It's not my value is way above that. As soon as you, understand that your value is not in your mistakes. It's how you handle those and move forward is the sooner that you just crush it. Wow. I love that. Your, your value isn't in the mistakes you make, but it's how you handle them. I love that. That's going to be so helpful as I good. continue to navigate this like we sort of weird spot in my life. Mm, really good, man. I, um, we, it's really, it's funny to me that we talk about like Thomas Edison will talk about, you know, the, the 9,999 times that he did not make the light bulb, but he made it on, you know, number 10,000, right. And we'll talk about mm -hmm. the 10,000 hours, which actually like Naval Ravikant's version of 10,000 iterations first, because it implies that you're going to fail 9,999 times. But then what happens at that 10,000th is 
mastery. And that used to be something that we would put on a pedestal a little bit. And I remember growing up, you know, in the eighties and watching all these movies about, you know, martial arts masters and wanting to get right. And so like, but it was just like, get into like, you want to just do this over and over and over again until you're now the master. Bruce Lee says, I don't fear the man that's practiced 10,000 kicks. It's the one, you know, it's the, the man has practiced one kick 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Right. So we have that, that weird number. So it's like, we put it out there and so many different things. We're like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And we don't realize that's quite literally describing the path to mastery for everything. It is the fail, 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 fail. Oh my gosh. Every time I do it. Yes. I am closer to becoming a master. As long as you don't let it impact you emotionally on that. It's freaking amazing. That's it, man. Tug, go ahead, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom today. I really appreciate it. So I had a question about your brotherhood of fatherhood. And I think that's that's really awesome. You've got a group of men committed to self-improvement like that and encouraging each other in that way. But I was wondering, what are some of the key values or ideals that y'all propound for for fathers? Like what what are some of the the things that y'all are your core core beliefs in that? Wow. So there's, uh, yeah, this is good. So first of all, when I bring men in, I do events. When I bring them in, there's some really important work that has to be done. And so I'm going to talk about my pillars that I put in place for my events, but then I'll talk about like the core values because I can only live my core values and speak very strongly about them and hope that other men use that as a pillar and start to create those. But the pillars when we are, when we get together and what causes incredible breakthrough and understanding that we're all in this kind of journey together is it's really hard for men. The first one is vulnerability. All right. So I talk to men about like, before we can get anywhere, we got to be real. And as soon as I can create an, an environment where men are real with each other, they realize that they all screw up the same ways. Because what we do is men, I'm speaking to you guys, what we do when we think we mess up, we think we're the only one that's that bad. We're the only one that's doing it that bad. We're the only ones that, you know, cheated on the test or like no one knows these secrets. As soon as you let those secrets out in a group of men that you can trust or a group of others that you can trust, the sooner you realize that, oh, wait, everybody's do- dealing with this stuff. So we do, we do vulnerability. And then we do accountability, have other people that you can continue to have ask you really hard questions. Always have somebody in your life who loves you, will ask you hard questions and not judge you, but will call you to be a better person. And then the other one is intentionality. Like start moving through everything with intentionality, love your wife with intentionality, love your God with intentionality, love your uh, kids with intentionality, and then also do your work with intentionality, which also includes when work is done and you need to spend time with your family, you turn it off. That's a big thing that we deal with. And so like for me, um, kind of some of the pillars that I talk about incessantly, I talk about my, my value ladder. And so we all talk, we have values, right? Well, mine are actually in order. I have hierarchy in them. And so my very top is I serve my God. I have a personal relationship with Jesus. That is my thing, right? Like, but I tell guys like, you should have some sort of foundation. The belief system is a foundation. And that, you know, that I say that, but for me, that's what it is. Number two is my wife. It's not my family. Let's be super clear. I chose my wife before I had my kids. I chose my wife and said, mom and dad, I am choosing her and I'm moving in a direction with her. And then comes the rest of the family. So God, wife, family, 
then fitness and health, and then finances and everything else falls. Friends, friends are in there. Everything else falls in between. And so I speak about that, but here's what I also do. I have a morning routine. People will talk to you about morning routine. Develop your own routines. But mine, the very first, what do you think the first thing I do when I wake up is? Who, what am I paying attention to? Faith. Faith. It's my faith. Second, I go find my wife like a heat-seeking missile and tell her I love her and give her a kiss or a hug or whatever. Third, my boys are either gone or asleep or whatever. And so I move into the fourth, which is then I go and do a gratitude walk, a, a rock, I carry a rock pack. And I'm, I'm out in nature for 45 minutes in the pitch dark, uh, being grateful about all the things, doing my prayer time. And then, then all the, the other things, then I go come home and I work out. And so all these things fall in line. And so I preach that like, like, look, you've got to figure out a way to put things in order because so many men. And I, never, I don't want any of you guys doing this. They think that they're serving their family by earning money and working really hard. When your bad, your family needs to be served by so many other things than money. My boys would tell me, like I told them once, I'm like, I'm really struggling in business. We're going to have a really tight few months. I'm working my butt off to get us up again. And they believed in me. And they're like, no, I don't care about that. <laughs> like, we don't care. We know you're going to pull it out. It's no big deal. You're going to pull it off. We're going to be fine. And they're like, all I care about is that we have you. And so create, create these values and then live according to those values. If I woke up and looked at social media first, I am putting importance of everybody else's opinion and highlight reel in front of everything else that I say is important. And that's not living to my values. And so um, that's what I really kind of preach on. I hope that answered your question. That was a really good question, man. Yes, sir. That's an exceptional answer. I really like that concept of a value ladder. Like you're saying that hierarchy. Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking one more quicker question. So I started 75 hard today. All right on. I'm going to focus and I know it's a multifaceted challenge, but I'm focusing in on the diet for this talk because in the chat, you mentioned working out and eating well, and I'm trying to kind of, I've been focusing on uh, dieting for the past year, just cutting out added sugars. But for this nice. 75 days, I've been doing like eggs for breakfast, then salad and tuna for lunch, and then some sort of chicken or steak, some sort of meat and rice for dinner. But what would you add to that? Oh, and then supplementing in fruit and vegetables throughout the day. But what would you add to that? Uh, if you had anything, anything you could say to that, I'd appreciate. So I'm 50. So my body is much different. I treat my body like a science experiment. If you know anything about science experiments, you change one, one thing at a time, one variable only. And so I did this until I understood, I did continuous glucose monitoring. So I knew what spiked my um, level blood levels. I, I took this to extreme levels, right? So I know what fuels my body and what hurts my body. I know when I need to stop eating. I know when I need to not eat. Like it's a science experiment. It's very hard to stick to, but when I, when I attach it to my values, it's pretty easy actually. So what you're doing is phenomenal. You should, you should really be focusing on whole foods, which it sounds like you are at your age, no matter what people say, Right now is the time to develop a very strong habit in that you are protein focused because most people do not get enough protein. And so whole foods, protein, if you focus on those things, you won't have space for all the other crap. You, you really won't. I would also encourage um, hydration. And so that's a really, once we got my son, I don't know if you guys have heard of Element. Rob Wolf's a friend of mine. I think he's a friend of yours. Once I got my son drinking Element, his performance level went through the roof. 
because we're so depleted um, mm. with electro real electrolytes that we needed. Like seriously, Tug, you you got this dialed, man. That is so good. And if you guys can get away from sugars, my boys did that just by me talking about how it affected me. Because like I said, I taught it like a science experiment. So I started to notice when I had sugar and I actually did it on purpose, I would have sugar and I would get into a rage like within an hour. And then I would want to fall asleep immediately. So I know exactly what happens to me. I'm an absolute jerk when I have a lot of sugar. Absolute. And then my son, my, my, my youngest, I'm like, Hey, Yesterday you came home and you were a bear. Like it was hard to be around you. What happened? And he's like, well, and we've done this over and over and over again. Guess what? It's when he has sugar. And so now I don't have to tell him don't eat sugar. I'm just like, Hey, just understand how that affects you. And he, he avoids it now. And so find your own anchors for the reason you're doing it. Not because someone else is telling you, but because you know how your body responds to it. And that will last so much longer than someone else saying, Hey, you need more protein, but you do need more protein. You're doing a ton. And, um, and yeah, you're, you're crushing it, man. Just keep up to keep up with it. Thank you, sir. I really appreciate the insight. It's awesome, man. Well said. Yeah. So good. Yeah. And I love you. The element is fantastic. Rob sent me a ton of that when he first got involved with them. And, and I was like, I was a little bit angry with him, sort of, because I'm like, cool, man. Now I'm just good. That's just going to be something I do. So I've, I've finagled him into um, sponsoring all of my events. So they just send me boatloads of it. <laughs> so awesome, yeah. I have cases and cases. And we, I, I wish I had an affiliate link. I'd probably made a million bucks right now. <laughs> uh, totally. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> it's great stuff. So good. Tate, go ahead, sir. Thank you, sir, for coming on the call today. My question for you is, if you were ever to make your own education system, what would it like look like? How would it work? And yeah, what would you, what's your thoughts on that? Tate, that is a dangerous question because I've actually, when I first heard oh, what, what this, this <laughs> gentleman was doing, and I first heard what Tim Kennedy was doing, and I was like, I told my wife, this is dangerous. Because my, I like have a mission to prove the system wrong and that can be a little dangerous. And, um, so for me, it would be absolutely immersive. There would be so much, you know, and I, you know, Matt, I don't necessarily know like the frameworks of yours, yeah. but it would be a lot like I taught early on with a lot more emphasis on, um, daily disciplines and, and not discipline just to be disciplined. But the understanding that overnight success is like a 10-year road. And so very, very heavy in leadership principles, very heavy in leadership principles, very heavy in exploration of things that interest you. And if you're interested in a trade, we're going to give you every freaking tool in the toolbox to, to pursue that. Entrepreneurship, real entrepreneurship, not the finance and business classes you get in a school, real money stuff, not how to live with tight fists, but how to live with abundance. And then, um, man, just a lot of exploration, a lot of like what, what we do need to know about is history. We need to know on history, understand history because we, we can avoid situations like we're in right now. But, um, those are really the pillars, you know, problem solving, critical thinking, critical thinking would be like a top notch thing. That's important. If you can make really good decisions, and take information and put it through a filter that's both pragmatic and also 
wide view, you are going to crush it. So that would be, I know that's not like a strong framework, but those would be the, like the overarching thing I would do. And I would look for people who only cared, only cared about each individual, not about making a career out of teaching, not about following any sort of system, not about learning algorithms for math, unless that's what somebody wants to do. Thank you, sir. I think that would change a lot of people and make the world honestly a lot better. Mm. Well, some people are doing it. That's exactly it. It's yeah. I'll be quiet at this point and I'll move on because otherwise I will get myself on it. Cause, but, but ding, 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 man. I mean, that's, that's exactly, uh, that's exactly the roadmap gentlemen and what people miss on that. We'll just say this one thing. What people miss on this is look, there's a couple things. One parents need to be doing the same kind of thing. They need yes. to right that's that is a built-in part of what we're building is that the parents are also on this journey so that when the young heroes come home it is like hey we're coming to a household that is just as this is a we do it's a family mission um so it's exactly those things and, and we give up the yeah dude i yeah you're right G guillermo said you're about to make matt run through a wall so that yeah totally so i'm gonna go ahead and be quiet right there and just go I, wait i could go that, with you though that's that was, i know man i know <laughs> what he just described is called education and it's something that actually doesn't end so yeah right there with you all right matthew go ahead sir uh thank you sir for your time today i was wondering um what's the best learning experience you've had in business and how it changed you hmm hmm the only the only limitation is yourself. Mm -hmm. And as long as you are focused on solving a problem and doing it with excellence, and that problem can't be money. The problem is the problem for the client or the customer. And so I was really good at solving this problem for myself. And other people were like, how do you do that? I had no idea that I was going to get into this business, right? The business that I'm in. Like, how did you do that? I need your help. And then the ding, ding, ding went off, right? And so helping other people is paramount. But before you can help people to the absolute highest level possible, you have to understand that you are a force to be reckoned with and you, your knowledge is needed, your heart is right, and that you are the chosen deliverer of that thing. If you don't believe that, you will not sell that. And once I understood and stepped into that greatness, I actually had a guy a year ago. I was doing a great business, really great business. I still own it. It operates on its own. Like I don't have to hardly do anything. It's just over there doing its thing. And this guy came to me. He's like, I want this. I was starting to dabble in a new idea. And he literally told me, you're not charging enough because what I see in you, you don't see in you. He's like, I don't want to pay for this service. I want to pay for this service, but I want you. And he told me, I believe in you. You are incredibly talented in this area. If you can attach you, I'll pay you four times what you're asking. I was like, what? And so I went to the next person. I said, so what do you really want from me? She goes, I want you. I want you to coach me through this. I want your product, but I want you to make me great at doing this because you are great at doing this. And I was like, I realized at that moment that I had been cutting myself off because I didn't have the belief in myself that other people were starting to see. That is probably the number one thing. Give, give something of incredible value that solves other people's problems, but you have to believe in yourself so deeply and you have to understand that you are 
barely tapping into your potential, barely. Like I'm just getting started, guys. My business has grown like 800% this year. It's been insane because like right now, I'm like, hey, there's another guy doing the same thing. I'm a thousand times better than him. He is not my competition. I will help him. If I have some, if I, if he needs help, I met for an hour and a half before this and drove home as fast as I could with a guy trying to build the same agency I'm building. He lives in the same area. I'm, I'm worldwide. He lives in the same area. I literally gave him the playbook for my business. Literally. This is how much you charge. This is what you do. Here's how you do this. This is, this is going to be your objection. Here's the kind of client you don't want. Why did I do that? Because I know I am so incredibly gifted at this that, but to hold it back would be, uh, would be horrible. And there's so many people out there that need it. I'm not worried about him. I want him to make a $10 million company. And so when you kind of get to that level in your head is when you can just explode in the business that you're doing and be around the people who have and are doing what you want to do. Like a group like this, this is how you absolutely crush it in life is stay in rooms like this at all costs. Put yourself in rooms. If you decide to go off to college and you're living and everybody's partying, get yourself out and make sure you get yourself in a room like this every week so that you get back in alignment with who you are and what your goals are. Yeah. yeah. That's a good question. Yeah, that's awesome. I love it. That, that is quite literally the description of solving problems with excellence, right? You, you become so competent. There's a, there's two elements of it, right? There's the, actually the two sides of what education means. The root words of education. One is drawing out, it's drawing out that genius. It's, it's inside of you. And the other one is scaffolding the things you don't yet have that you need to accentuate the genius that's there, right? So it's the two sides of education. And that's exactly what it means to become excellent, to become competent as you pull out that natural ability that you have that nobody else has. It's that unique knowledge, that individual specific knowledge is what Naval Ravikant calls it, right? So it's that specific knowledge that you have scaffolding it anything else by being in the rooms with these kind of people and pulling in all of these other traits and following those roadmaps, you do that, well, then you have now earned the ability and the right to solve problems for other people with excellence. That's what yep. businesses are. Solving problems with excellence. The better you solve the problem, the better you do as a business. So good, man. Carmine, go ahead, sir. I'd just like to thank you for sort of coming on here today. And I was wondering if you are doing any martial arts and if so, how they've helped you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So probably one of the biggest regrets in my life. Not really, but it's a big regret. I've never done martial arts. And okay. quite honestly, I've been told that I have a body for it. But the problem is at this point, I have a really bad neck. And so at my events, I actually bring in, you know, triple or um, I think the last time was a, a fourth, fourth degree black belt in jujitsu. Definitely the one that I would focus on personally, because there's just, you know, just the overall concepts of it, the discipline, the longevity that it takes to get anywhere with it. Um, and so I brought in those. We've had private, like small group lessons for all of our all, all of my attendees for these groups. And every time I've started to do it and I get injured, um, I have a really bad neck back thing. And so unfortunately it's just probably not in my DNA, but I want it so bad. It hurts, <laughs> but I would say to everybody, I don't know what you guys talk about. I would say you have to do it. 
like literally I would, if, if I had a school, it would be, that would be a class would be, we would be rolling jujitsu. There's no doubt about it. Everything in there is, uh, is insane. (laughs) Bodhi. I love that. Go to a chiropractor. I have, man, my wife's a physical therapist. She's got a doctorate degree. And so, uh, I actually have a, a, uh, I have actually a pretty bad injury from skateboarding. Go figure. Mm. So, yeah. Brutal. Good question. Sir. Oh, I love that they're all jujitsu. That's awesome, you guys. That is so encouraging yeah, to me. We got a bunch for Karma, sure. Do you do you do jujitsu yourself? Yes, I do. How long you been doing it? Uh, I've been doing it for like a month now. Awesome, awesome. That's that's amazing. I don't even know what to say other than good job. That's that's incredible. Yeah, Muay Thai and jujitsu. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, big time. Great question, Carmine. Scott, I want to double check and make sure because I know we're at one, but we do have two more hands up. Are you okay on time if we take those last two? If not, if you got a hard stop, you got a hard stop. I did not book after this because I knew that there was potential to go over and I wanted to give you guys any time you needed. You're an amazing human. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that greatly. Mr. Moore, go ahead, sir. Hello. Hi. um, My dad might be talking in the background. I apologize for that. He's on a call too. But um, what I want to say is, um, first of all, thank you for hopping on here because I now know even more so that my dad is the greatest, greatest dad on the planet because I you, love sir, that. you are, he does the, uh, the exact same things you do. He does every single thing you have been talking about on this call. He believes in like the school system, like the school system could be way better. It doesn't work the way it is. Um, the way you taught your, uh, you taught those kids at the beginning of the elementary uh, school thing, your first education job. That's how my dad taught me. And it's just, sir, you are a light. Thank you. It, just th- thank you for coming on here today. Well, tell your dad that he and I would get along incredibly well. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's all I have to say. Thank you. Sir. You're very blessed. Very blessed to have a father that 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 has his things in order. That is not common, you guys. I don't know if you guys know this. That is not common. If you have a even halfway decent family life, you're like in a one, you're a one percenter. You are, and if you don't, the fact that you're in this room puts you in that percentage as well. So you should sure. feel incredibly blessed, incredibly take a step back when you're incredibly frustrated or embarrassed by your parents, or you don't understand what they're doing and just understand this, which is coming from, you know, an older guy, there will be a day when you go, Oh, I get it. Mm-hmm. There will be mark my words. My 19 year old tells me that all the time. Now he's like, I get it. For so, sure. Thank you very much. You awesome. just lifted my spirits. That was awesome. Yeah. Thank, thank you for that. so much, sir. Um, and gentlemen, just to tack on to that, the sooner it, it's a hard thing to go, Oh, I get it. it. It is. It's hard to get to that point. You will get to that point. Mr. Ramage is exactly correct. You will get to that point. Um, the sooner you can, you can try to comprehend it. The sooner you can get to the next phase of that, which is understanding your moral responsibility to then go do something with it. Mm-hmm. Right. So this is the reality of it. You're in that 1%, gentlemen, you are in the 1%. This is why it's called apogee strong leaders on purpose. You are being intentional now to go 
it's a moral obligation for you guys to go lead other human beings. And first and foremost, it means leading yourself by example, right? It's all the things that we always talk about. It is you pouring into this. It is you living the Apogee code. It is you bringing others along with you and being that example for the long haul, not until Saturday, right? It is over the long haul. It's your moral obligation by being in that 1% that you do that. It's the moral obligation that you don't go, ah, well, I fell off for six weeks and then I came back. Nope, your moral obligation to stay consistent with that. Big time. All right, Samsung. Last but not least, go ahead, sir. So I just wanted to note that a lot of people overlook the fact that in order to start businesses and to sustain a business, you have to be financially literate. You have to be able to manage money well, put it where it needs to go, but also enjoy that. So where did you like really learn and establish that that skill to manage your money? Because you say that you dabble in many different businesses. So where did so, you? Yeah. I first read a book called Killing Sacred Cows. Mm. And uh, it, it kind of debunks a lot of the financial advice most people will give you. I also came to realize the understanding that I could make millions and millions and die with millions and millions and give my boys and their kids a really cushy financial life, but that would lead to quite honestly, a lot of failure. And so I say that for a reason, because being, being gifted millions and millions of dollars is almost being gifted a little bit of a curse if you don't have a work ethic. And so if you do, uh, Pat, 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 what is this? Pat, Patrick, Bet David mm-hmm. had his team do research on families that passed money, like the Vanderbilts and all these massive families. And he looked at the, the, the generations. And then he went and studied any family with a ton of money that actually lasted multiple generations, by the way, it's incredibly rare, incredibly rare. And I'm getting to a point here. So understand that life right now is what you need to enjoy. So you have to be smart with money, but you have to live an abundant life. And so I used to hoard money. So this happens to both raccoons and monkeys. You know how they catch monkeys and kill them is they put like a banana or something in a jar or a trap, a container that they can reach into. But as soon as they grab it, their fist is bigger than the hole. All right. So hang in there with me. So then they'll run up to the, they'll run up to the monkey or the, or the raccoon. And that monkey knowing its life is in danger will not be able to pull away because he will not let go of the banana. And he gets clubbed over the head and killed raccoon. Same thing. They won't, they won't let go because they want that thing so much. And so one of the biggest pieces of financial literacy I can tell you is be smart with your money and find ways to invest that are outside of the norm because the norm is designed to keep you as a, it's to keep you slave. And I, I hate saying that, but it's very true. So you have to be very creative. You have to understand and surround yourself with people who are doing it right. But you don't want to be a monkey with a banana in your hand. And so what I'm saying, though, is if that monkey had an abundant mindset and said there'll be other bananas, he would have saved his life. And so for my entire life, I, I was a monkey with a banana and I wasn't able to get anywhere because I was stuck. 
because I was so I was hoarding money. I was holding on to money. I was so fearful I was going to lose it. And as soon as I was like, hey, you know what? I have two hands. And if I put it out like this and I let money fall in it and then I hold it, like what, what good is that for me? But if I take that money and I steward it and I, and I grow it and I, and I let it go into other things and I enjoy my life at the moment responsibly, I'm living very fulfilled and more will come in because when you, you, you will find a way. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing here is I don't want to retire. I don't want to like, Hey, if I, if I have a $10 million valuation on my company and my boys decide to sell it when I die, that's fine. But they're going to have to learn from day one, how to work and how to earn. I want them to have their own thing before I give anything. So live life while you're at it. I do not have an end date. So if you talk to me about retirement, I'm going to say, go away. I have no interest in retiring. I have no finish line. Death will be my finish line. I'm not going to work like a horse my entire life because I'm right now enjoying it. Right. Like last two weeks ago, I took a book, the first class flight for my wife and I, we flew to Montana. We had an incredible time. We looked at multi-million dollar properties to kind of plan some things. I'm not throwing money out there to give you like flashy. I'm just telling you how, how we operate. And because that money right then, it costs a lot to do that trip. Incredible amount to do that trip. I think it was $10,000 for like a five-day trip because it's just such an expensive place to go. And we had the time of our lives. And so I'm not sitting here saying, well, you should have saved that. It was irresponsible. Well, I do have money to take care of everything that is taken care of. But I also understand that this is my life. And if I die tomorrow, I want today to be amazing. And so I live every single day with that thought in my head that tomorrow, today could be the last day. Absolutely. So what does that do for you? One, it helps you have a better look at money. I want my wife to be taken care of. I've done all the things. It's pretty quick. Done all the things that my wife will be great if I pass away. I've also built a business, by the way, guys. You build a business that does not require you. You build it so good that it can run by anybody. So if I were to die tomorrow, my wife has a note in my safe, my gun safe that's right over there, that says, here's who you contact. They can keep the business going in perpetuity, and you can get a paycheck. Here's the logins you need. Here's what you need to tell them to do. Literally, my business will carry on. So when you think about building a business, if you're out mowing lawns, the question is, how do I mow more lawns? That's not the question. The question is, how do I leverage other people to do more lawns so I can work on being a better businessman and leading those men into into creating their own businesses? So the money thing, you have to get away from that traditional money mindset stuff that's out there and really look at it, what it's really trying to do. And so you have to live an abundant life and then enjoy where you're at now. There's a lot of people who are storing for retirement. And guess what happens when you work, 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 and you save for retirement? You are miserable when you get there because all you know is work, 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 work. And you've been hoarding money. And now you're like, well, what people have so much purpose in work. And then when it goes away, they have no clue how to live their life. Zero clue. And they are miserable. Sitting on a beach is really great for about two days. So I I know I kind of circled this huge thing around there, but it's more of a mindset and like you should live your life. So with so much vigor, (laughs) you should, you should love the people in your life because they could and quite possibly will be gone tomorrow. So money, it relates to that very, very closely. Yes, sir. 
it's extremely extremely helpful good that's awesome yeah there's a the i don't remember who said and i'll bastardize the quote but it, you know the secret of wealth is to give it all away right is essentially the and it's a multi that's a multifaceted um and a, a multi-layered comment in and of itself but there is that uh under underpinning of of that abundant mindset, you know, and the generosity. Um, and that always comes back to, you know, I didn't leave, I didn't say that, but, um, every morning, you know, I do, I do, I say things out loud to myself that I need to believe or that I've struggled believing before, or, you know, these things. But one of them is that I want to be so blessed that I have no choice, but to bless others ridiculously. And it becomes such an internal drive. Like, you know, somebody, I want someone to visit. I'm just going to buy a ticket and say, here you go. Like those types of things, or somebody is in need and, and I can provide some sort of stability for them so they can work their way out of it. Like, you know, these things, or I can buy a, a $5 million property that has extra homes on it so that I can bring couples in who are struggling in their marriage and show them the principles of a really great marriage and change the trajectory of the entire legacy of their family. If we can save that marriage, that's what I want to do. That's why I want a boatload of money. It's not so I can have a mansion. It's so I can do things for others. And then that feels so weird to say out loud, but it's so incredibly important for you to anchor yourself to something that is so much bigger to you. And you have to believe that it's approachable and doable. And that will start to move you in that direction. You don't want to do business to make money. You want to make the money so that you can do the business, right? Because yeah. the business is, it's the business of serving other humans. Holy moly. Um, uh, unbelievable, man. Um, knew it would be because uh, that's just who you are. Uh, but the gratitude, man, for you coming in and, and chatting and pouring into these young guys. And again, this is what I get to do every Friday. Are you freaking kidding me? That's amazing, man. Right? I mean, it's the You're blessed man. You better believe it, man. Yeah. Number one on the planet, as far as I'm concerned. Um, super, super appreciative. I don't want you to leave without us knowing how we can support you and what you have going on. And whether that's, hey, here's where to go to find out more about what we're doing, you know, brother with the fatherhood. Here's the business. Here's what are, I just, whatever that looks like, man, how can we support you, us as a network? Well, that's an incredible question. You know, I hadn't thought of that. Usually I point people to the Brotherhood of Fatherhood sure. podcast, or I point them to my business. Sure. Um, I'm old, so I'm, I'm, you can find me on Facebook. You'll see everything I do on Facebook. I actually think it publishes, to, most of it publishes to Instagram. So, yeah, totally. um, but, but like literally I am available. My, my favorite thing to do, by the way, outside of my business, my favorite thing to do is help other dads be better dads and better leaders. And that's really, really important work. And, and I do that as an extension of just the gifts I've been giving, given by other men. And so I don't have a coaching program or anything like that. Like I just, uh, it's just something that I love to do. So I don't think that really answers your question, but it's, but well, here you know how to reach out to me. I do. I was going to say, and here's the deal. We've got a, we've have a relationship now where that is not a question that has to be a one and done. This is an ongoing relationship, man. So, awesome. you know, I'll say that for, I will speak for the young men here, the men that we serve, you know, as we launched the ladies, the schools, it doesn't matter. Um, we're very much aligned man and the principles and, and what we need to be doing in this life. And um, so anything, anytime, say the word. Thank you. As a, as a Likewise. Likewise. I can't wait till we get to get in person, man, give you a big old hug.
It'll happen. It will happen. I guarantee <laughs> it. Right on. Thank you. Appreciate you, gentlemen. Let's give a big thank you. You have now taken the step to becoming a great leader of tomorrow. Join the Apogee program by visiting www.apogeestrong.com. For inquiries, contact us 916-728-0606 or email matt at apogeestrong.com. Thank you for listening to Essential 11, Shaping Leaders Among Leaders. Stay tuned for more episodes.